No rock stars, roadies, or groupies were harmed in the making of this broadcast. On the Rocks with Jamie Wilson is brought to you by Offshore Music. Go where the sound takes you. Giving it to you straight and no chaser. This is On the Rocks with Jamie Wilson. On the Rocks with Jamie Wilson is brought to you by Offshore Music. Go where the sound takes you. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to On the Rocks. I'm Jamie Wilson, and thank you for tuning in tonight, and thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with me. You know, guys, it's been a crazy week. We had a superstorm hit us, and a lot of people need our help. Uh, thank, th- thankfully, uh, it didn't hit Manila directly, but a lot of other places got hit directly. So please, if you can, just help out if you can. You know, um, whatever you can to donate, whether it be, uh, you know, some money, some goods, some food, or your time or your energy, you know, every little bit helps. And speaking of a little help, you know, I'm a little nervous tonight because of our guest. And thank God our friends from Liquor.ph sent me over a bottle of Tito's vodka to calm me down. This is like Tito's handmade vodka. It's certified gluten-free. It's certified kosher, and it's made of 100% corn. So, wow, guess what, man? It's actually healthy. So, and it's calming my nerves right now because you know what? Tonight, guys, well, let me cheers you first and take a sip before we call her in. My very special guest tonight is someone I admire so very much. And, you know, her achievements are a perfect testament of how, how far natural talent, a great attitude, and a lot of hard work can take you all right she's an international star she's a phenomenal artist she's a disney legend she's a fantastic friend and she's probably the fiercest and the funniest woman you will ever meet so ladies and gentlemen without without further ado can we please welcome miss leah salonga hi jamie hello hello leah how are you thanks also to liquor.ph because i got my bottle of tito's and it's good my god it's smooth, it's so, huh? It's so smooth. It's like, did I actually put vodka in this? And it's right. I keep on checking. I keep yeah, on checking. Yeah, with my it's, it's, How it's much very well made. I'm very impressed. I'm very, very impressed. So thank you. Thank you for well, sending. Well, cheers, that. cheers, Leah. Thank you for cheers being here. Cheers to you too. It's funny. I was texting with my manager, and he said that he was drinking the same thing last night. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. So and he said, and all the Tito's is gone. <laughs> I just thought it was very funny. And you know this 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 vodka is so smooth. Like I I begin to I'm not a vodka drinker. I'm a yeah, bourbon. Yeah, I'm not a frequent. Drinker. Yeah, I'm not a frequent vodka person either. But I'm I'm impressed by this. I, I yeah. truly am. I mean, it's I'm just good. gonna I'm gonna wonder how it feels like though when I stand up after the show. Don't. And then then just go stand up. Just go straight to the floor. You know, <laughs> from the chair, go into all. Go on all fours, and then get to where you need to go. Well, I'm thankfully, my, my bed is crawling distance. Yeah, from where so I'm is mine. At. So is mine. It's like, it's like three feet away. So it's, I'm good. I'm good. I'll be good. I'll be fine. Perfect. So, so yeah. Leah, how is, how, how is life during the pandemic? How, how are you doing? You've been very busy. How am busy. I doing? Huh? I'm sorry? You, you've been very busy. I've been very busy. Uh, I'm grateful to be very busy. I mean, certainly at the beginning... Um, many artists came together for fundraising efforts, uh, things like Bayanihan Musikahan, uh, Bayanihan Musikahan uh, yeah. other individual efforts for the artists' welfare project. Um, 
a lot of people just coming together to try and help out in whatever way. Um, and things have opened up since. So I think that there have been people able to go back to work. Um, other places have been able to open, um, which means we're able to patronize restaurants again uh, and small businesses. Um, my manicurist was finally able to come over and I felt good Yay. about that. I felt it's, it, it wasn't about so much me getting pampered because I can kind of do that myself anyway, but it's, I mean, she needed the work and she presented a COVID negative uh, swab test. So it's like, yeah, come on over. It's fine. And, and she said, the next time I get a test, I'll let you know. And so it's good. So at least we're able to help the people that regularly take care of us also. So we also get to take care of them. Um, corporate gigs, can't complain. Um, learned how to do a few things in the kitchen. I mean, we're going to definitely come to that. But learned how to make my grandmother's leche flan. At least my mom says it's like my, it tastes like my Mama Carmen's leche flan, which is a huge compliment because my mom normally does not compliment on stuff like that. She's very picky, uh, as she should be, because that's a recipe that I'm sure she has tasted over and over again and kind of took for granted. So now that she's able to have it again, it's, it's nice to be able to give her that. And Nicole, my daughter, now also knows how to make it. So if I'm not available to do it, she knows how to do it. Um, yeah, and, and that's that. You've been you've been busy with um, a lot yeah. of you, you've done divas for democracy, you've done your corporate gigs, yeah. Your um, your uh, Sydney concert is coming out. Yeah, on November twenty seven, just at, the day after Thanksgiving in the U.S. So it's coming out on PBS, and I'm excited. It was it was my second engagement at the Sydney Opera House, and both the first and the second engagements were sold out. So this is the second engagement that we decided to film and we filmed it for PBS and it's going to come out as part of their great performances for the month of November. And PBS is, is quite well known for broadcasting a lot of theater, whether it's Shakespearean dramas or musical comedies, a lot of documentaries a lot of educational and cultural um, programming. And it's, it's stuff that I have found myself just, you know, I plop down on my sofa, you turn it on and you're just stuck. There's like a documentary about horses that you didn't know you needed to see. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by horses right now. <laughs> They've got great programming, actually. I love it. It is. It's wonderful programming. And you, you feel like your IQ goes up about five points just from watching their programming. I don't know how, but that, that seems to be what happens. And it's, it's wonderful to... I mean, I've been on PBS quite a bit because of the Les Mis anniversaries, both the 10th and the 25th. But this is the first solo engagement. And so it's... It's exciting. It's really, really exciting. And I, I, you know, I'm hoping that people will watch it and that people will enjoy it. And yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for the best. 
I'm sure they will. I've seen you in concert. I've worked with you. <laughs> yeah, you there have are, worked with me. And there are times where, you know, I had to, I was wearing that headset when we did playlist. And I remember Bobby um, Garcia, our director, giving me instructions to do one thing or another. I was running around during your concert and I was, I, I caught myself busy watching you instead of working. So he actually, he actually scolded me on the headset, J- Jamie, are you watching? Sorry, I'll get right on it. And I had to run around. Because, I mean, you know, your concerts so are fantastic. Oh, <laughs> thank okay. you. Well, uh, concerts like that, I, I cannot take full credit. I mean, yeah, it's my name on the poster and I'm the person up on stage, but it takes a village to create one of those things. It takes a fantastic director that knows what he wants. It takes... Um, amazing lighting designers and sound designers, musical director, orchestra, that, or, that orchestra, um, you know, a backstage crew with a great stage manager. It, it takes a village to put one of those things together as it does a musical or a play. Um, so every single person that got to work on every one of my concerts, um, I am, I am grateful because they make me look good. Uh, also the, costume designers, um, the guests that come on the show. Oh, Lord. And, of course, the audiences that, that, you know, that come into PICC and pack the house and, you know, respond so generously. Um, same when I go abroad. It's, it's a much smaller crew as there are usually a lot of in-house people that handle everything, but the ones on tour with me, it's a band with a wonderful musical director, makeup artist, uh, my manager, um, you know, and, and another assistant. So it's a small crew, a smaller village, but a village nonetheless. And, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky and very, I'm very fortunate to have a wonderful team of people that work behind the scenes and make me feel like the stage is the safest place, knowing that everything is so well taken care of, that the only thing I have to focus on is the performance and the music and making sure I don't um, make any mistakes by misreading the teleprompter, for example, because those things happen. Yeah. And, and I've, I've committed those mistakes. So, you know, and, and, and I sometimes get down on myself when I, you know, when it's laid out for me so clearly, usually it's Maro Garcia that does it. And when it's laid out for me so clearly, and yet I miss a word here and there. And then, of course, all the expletives are going off in my head. And she's probably just laughing. You know, it's like, ah, she missed a word, but that's okay. Nobody's going to care. <laughs> <laughs> that's true, because you know what? Nobody, nobody can tell. Nobody could yeah. tell. If you, as long if you as I don't show that something happened, it's fine. Yeah. Nasa nagdadala. Correct. I just have and to make dala. And that's the benefit of really being actors, Diva. You never oh. show your mistakes. And you just go straight on through as cannot, if nothing ever happened. cannot show that anything happened. I mean, I've been to shows where stuff happens on stage. Um, and then I go visit my friends backstage afterwards. And then they tell me, oh, something, something, was this was not supposed to happen. And I'm like, Really? I didn't notice anything. Obviously, I don't know the show. So if I don't notice anything, you know, the only people that would notice are people who are like diehards of that particular show that have seen it at least five to ten times. Yeah. Those are the ones. They're, they're the only people that are going to know. The, the rest of us won't know a thing, won't notice anything. And kudos to that cast 
that made it so easy and made it feel like nothing was going on. But I'm sure they were all panicking on the inside because I, I know how that feels. Never show your panic. Never show panic, ever. Always, it's like a duck swimming. I have to always be placid on the, you know, on the outside, but you're furiously paddling underwater. <laughs> that's how it's supposed to be. That's how it's supposed to be. That's true. Things that's, happen. Stuff happens. I, I have never seen it that way before, but yes, be like the duck. <laughs> be like a duck, placid, over the water, frantic paddling underwater. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, be like the duck. So, Leo, you know, um, for music and theater, um, I I just want to find out. These are are questions I've always wanted to ask you. Um, Because I remember my journey very clearly in theater and in music, Mm -hmm. but I've always been dying to ask you. So what led to your discovery of music and theater? How did music and theater enter your life? Okay, music came first. Um, I guess it was just me being a toddler and getting up on the coffee table and using, you know, like a plug to pretending it was a mic. So that was, that was what I was doing. And my one cousin would come over and stay at our house. Like she would stay for long periods of time. Like if she was having a fight with her mother or something. And I, we only lived like two streets away from her. So she often would come over because my mom was like her second mom like she was she's still really close to my mother so she would babysit me and she was the best babysitter because i remember her with her guitar and she would teach me songs by maureen mcgovern and olivia newton john so imagine that those are those those are like the initial influences i've had as a vocalist and those are people that paid attention to lyric. It wasn't about the ad-libs. It was always a clean, lyrical, honest, straightforward delivery. So that was my influence from when I was three. And then later on, you add Karen Carpenter to that. You add the Osmonds and then um, people like Helen Reddy and hearing I Am Woman on the radio, I, I guess, and the Jackson 5 and... Um, yeah, those are the, and ABBA. So those are the kind of artists I was listening to in my childhood. As for theater, this was more direct intervention. Um, my cousin Ria was very active with Repertory Philippines at the time. Like she was getting a lot of the ingenue roles. She was a soprano. Um, and I guess there was some family party at our house at some point. And Ria told my mom, like our moms are sisters. Um, so Ria said, uh, Auntie Bibing, I think you have to bring Leia to this audition. Uh, Rep is holding auditions for the King and I. I think you have to bring her. So that's how it started. So that's how theater came into my life. Um, introduced by someone else that was actively doing it. Um, and then I, I guess after that, it just, I just, I must have just fallen in love with it. And I just kept on going and it never felt like, it never felt like work. I was never scared to be on stage. Uh, it never felt intimidating. Uh, I never felt fear, never had stage fright. It was, it just felt natural. And I don't know if it felt like that feeling of that's where I'm meant to be. I didn't have that kind of an epiphany. 
mm-hmm. you know, not at seven. I mean, it was just fun. I made friends. There were other kids in the show. Uh, so it didn't feel, you know, I didn't feel like, it didn't feel isolating because it, I wasn't the only seven-year-old in that cast. And there were kids younger than me in, in the company, which was, which was really nice. I think that the beauty of it is, is by starting out so young, we didn't mm-hmm. have, I mean, as, as, as children, we didn't know that we should be nervous. I remember yeah. having distinct memories of like all the adults freaking out. And I'm like, no, oh. this is fun. You know, we're going to get on stage yeah. and get to be we, somebody else. We didn't else, have you know? the, you know, I mean, we didn't have that baggage of of this, of, of being, say, Kokoy Laurel in a lead role. Yeah. At the, in his 20s, you know. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he still is, but he, at the time, he beautiful man, leading man looks, leading man everything. So I get that he would, you know, feel the nerves creep in. But yeah, you're right. As a kid, it's not something, you know, that bogs you down, which is kind of an advantage. But of course, as adults, we're terrified now when we're up there because we know, <laughs> we know full well all that can go wrong. We know the, the pressure because, oh, your name's above the title. Whoopee. You better perform well. <laughs> <laughs> and all these things come when you're an adult. But it's nice mm-hmm. that, you know, I, I, I myself personally love locking into the feeling that I had when I was seven years old. Yeah. And I had to go out on that stage. I always look for that because that's the pure joy of it. Mm-hmm. It's not like remembering. Of course, you still have to remember your blocking and your cues and oh, everything yeah. else. But if I center into that feeling of just pure joy of being able to do this and going yeah. out and being somebody else in another world. Isn't that fun? Oh, my God. That's the most fun. It's so much fun. It, it really is amazing <laughs> because yeah. I mean, we're telling stories. We get to be other people and, you know, with a definite yeah. ending. It's not an yeah. open-ended thing. There's a, There's a, you know act one there's an act two and then you take your bow and then you're done yeah so it's very nice and controlled it's it's controlled circumstances but within that there's so many things that can go wrong that you only realize as an adult yeah i remember a few times like um when i was watching when i i remember watching annie um i think for the first time uh we weren't part of the production yet Uh, i was with you in the third annie in rizal theater and that's when okay. I saw firsthand things to happen. And sometimes the dog, um, who was our, uh, who was our Sandy Jabbar? Ours? Jabbar. We yeah, Jabbar. Jabbar. Sometimes he would be a little stubborn if it was a two-show day. Yeah. And he was a little older by the time we did it in Rizal. In Rizal, yeah. Yeah, he was a more spry, active dog when he did it the first time. I think he was only four. Mm-hmm. So he was approaching eight, if not eight, when he did it in Rizal. So obviously, it's he's not going to be as, you know, as quick on his feet. He's going to move a little more slowly because it's the equivalent of a 56-year-old man, you know, yeah. as opposed to 28. So it's it's a it's a different energy. So I guess all of us had to just be a little more patient. With him, and I think everybody understood it was an older dog, but so well-trained, so well-behaved, took direction well, you know. And I just felt very safe around him. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm a kid, so and that's a a powerful animal. 
Yeah, I was really good. nervous though the first time. Yeah, the first time I was so nervous because something happened during rehearsals with the first dog. Jabbar was the second dog. Ah. The first one was a pet. And it, so it wasn't like formally trained. It wasn't mm. trained. So it could not follow commands. So I think something happened in one rehearsal. I got like nipped in the face with a baya fang. So I think the adults were getting nervous. You know, what if she decides to quit? <laughs> and you're the lead role. And I'm the lead. I'm the title role of this monster. What am I gonna do? No, but then then they had then they had to hire a, an actual trained dog. And this dog was already a professional. I think he had done movies. Um, he had done films. I think he was doing films with what's his name, Fernando Po Jr. I think he was doing action movies. Wow. Yeah. So this 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 guy had a resume. Uh, longer than a lot of other resumes of a lot of other actors at the time. So when they hired him, and I mean, I was nervous coming into this rehearsal. Um, I remember the ride to Insular feeling really, really long. It was like dead man walking. That's how it felt. And, and so by the, when I got to meet him and I got to work with him, the more I did it, the more at ease I felt. But... Keep in mind, and there are photographs in, to, to document this. When he, was, when he reared on his hind legs, he was bigger than me. So that, you know, so I had to respect that this was a, a, a strong animal that was larger than I was. Um, yeah, but we, we never had any issues. There were issues, though, when his trainer, who was dressed up as a policeman in costume, mm-hmm was obscured by, if there was another policeman in the wings, the dog would get confused. Yeah. So that, that was the tough part. So we had, they had to figure it out. I remember but, yeah. Tita Bibot, I remember Tita Bibot, who was a director then, scolding some of the actors who would make mistakes by comparing them with Jabbar. It's like, look, the dog gets his blocking perfectly. He gets his, you know, point A to point B. He doesn't make a mistake. What's your excuse? And I remember <laughs> being screamed at because I had to, I had to push in sets. I had to take mm-hmm. off chairs. I remember I had to take off a chair because I was a kid then. Yeah. I had to bring a chair off stage that was heavy. That was re- that was too heavy for me. But then everybody else was quick changing. So right. it was from I think it was from the mansion of Daddy Warbucks going into a street scene. I think when you're going out to the cinema and everybody was quick. Yeah, NYC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, NYC. And I had to bring out a heavy chair and I remember getting scolded because Jamie, if if Jabbar the dog can hit his mark, why can't you, you know, hit your mark? So I was like every day, every day I was there practicing with that heavy chair (laughs) because, you You, know. You must have gotten strong by the end of that run. Yeah, that's why that's why eventually down the line, whenever I'm in charge of a scene change in our like for example in Fun Home and it's like you know, in other place I did, it's always easy for me because I remember that moment. If the dog can get it right, Jamie, you should be able to get it right. Wow. And that's a bit of wisdom from Tita Bibot that I will always forever be grateful oh, for. Oh Lord. <laughs> Tita Bibot and her putting her leg up on a chair. And her putting her foot up on a chair to stress a point. Yeah, I just remember that her shorts, her loose fitting shirt, and her foot in a sandal or a sneaker on a chair or on, basta nakatuntong on something. Oh, and so on to one level, one level up. Yeah, basta one level, and and 
she's a tiny, she was a tiny, she, you know, I didn't realize how tiny she was until I finally became an adult and I was like looking down. Yeah. And, but so powerful, so smart, my God. And, you know, for all of her shouting and cuss words, it never, I never felt like it was ever personal. I mean, I don't know if it ever was or or not, you know, but it, it never felt like it was getting personal. Yeah. There are other directors who, when they scream at you, you feel like your 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 soul is being crushed. Yes. There are people like that, but I did not ever feel that with her. And I liked that she was strict. Um because then, yeah, you, you're you you're treating me like an adult. You're treating me like like someone that should take this seriously. Um, but yeah, it, I, I one thing that I do appreciate from her was that it just never felt like it was personal. I mean, other there are going to be other actors that are going to be like, wait a minute, but this happened, and it's like, like yeah, and and I'm not invalidating, you know, those occurrences either. I'm just speaking about my own experience with her. It just never felt like it got personal, not even when I was nine or ten. I always, I always felt like I could trust her and to get the best out of me. That's the beauty of to be but she instilled so much discipline in all of us oh, um, yes. back then. Oh. Um, to a fault. I mean, this woman would if you were one minute late, you just better go home because <laughs> turn around. Right? Turn around. Don't show your right face ever door. again. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it because she instilled so much discipline in us. And that's in the theater world, though. Um, but when when you were you had your own TV show, you started yeah. doing um, showbiz, you started doing and television film. and film. What was it a major adjustment for you oh to God. go from theater into that world? <laughs> <laughs> uh oh. And I'm not even drunk, Paha. I still have a lot of. <laughs> I still have a lot left. I didn't. I, I I only poured myself two ounces of vodka, so that's it. I'm I'm I haven't gotten much sleep, so I think this is going to be enough. Nice. Um, yeah, two ounces, just a little bit, respectable amount. Um, it, the first conversation I had about any showbiz related anything was with Peter Bibot. I got an offer to do a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, with other child actors also, Janice de Belen, Cheryl Cruz, Andrea Bautista, and Nino Mulak. And so before I even accepted, I asked Tita Bibot, Tita Bibot, I'm being asked to do this movie, and I'm 10 years old asking her this. Do you think I should? And Parang, she had this naughty, I could hear the naughtiness in her voice when she said, you should give it a try. <laughs> give it a try. You see if you like it. No. <laughs> Ganon. That's what she said. See if you like it. And then, um, so I went through the whole experience of that movie. It was definitely a rude awakening into a world that I, was, I had definitely never seen. You know, okay, case in, case in point, my first day of shooting, call, the call slip said the call time was 7 o'clock in the morning. Um, somewhere in some, like, I don't know where, a very rural area. So I'm there before my call time. And 
my mom makes sure that there's a book so that I don't get bored. Seven o'clock, there's nobody there. Literally no one. No one from production, not one crew member, nobody. No one there to greet us, nothing. We were like literally the only two people on the set. Around maybe 7.30, 8 o'clock, people start to arrive. Other actors start to arrive. You know, as you know, I don't remember the exact timing, but I do remember when the star of the movie finally showed up. 11 o'clock in the morning in his van, still sleeping. He had to be carried to the set by somebody. Because it's Malamang he had a shoot the night before and it was Puyatan or he was just Puyat from the night before. But I was like, is, is, is this experience going to be like this <laughs> the whole time? 10 years old already. Like, you know, figuring out my life. <laughs> it's like, is it going to be like this? But everybody was very nice on the set. We were, as kids, taken care of. I never felt taken advantage of. I mean, we had late nights, sure. Yeah. But watching somebody like Cheryl Cruz or Janice de Belen work, like, wow, these women, these, these act, child actresses knew how to emotionally get themselves to where they needed to be. Mm-hmm. They would, you know, when it's time to prepare, they would, you know, face the wall. And, and it was fascinating to watch. They'd face the wall and, and get themselves to whatever emotional state they had to be in because they had, there was a lot of crying involved. Um, and every time those two in particular would act, it never felt dishonest. It, 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 was, it was a lesson to, to learn from them. And everything felt so sincere and straightforward, especially Janice, who's a gripo, even from Flor de Luna. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she was somebody who was very much accustomed to being in that emotional place where she had to, she had to access some tough emotions. And it was, mar- it was a marvel to watch her. Like how she, she was around 13 at the time and played my eldest sister. And I think I was the next one in line. Um, so it was an interesting experience and, and my Tagalog was terrible. And Janice had to constantly come after me to teach me the difference between namin and natin, which I did not know at the time. Terrible. My, my Tagalog was awful. I mean, now obviously I know the difference and I don't make that mistake. Um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely quite a wake-up call. And I vowed to never do films again. I think because I was so used to the routine of doing theater. And that you knew when you started, you knew when it ended. And everything was so, it was predictable and it, there was structure. Yes. Which I felt I did not have doing film. But I started doing film again. And I think I was a little bit more accepting of the chaos that came with it. And I ended up enjoying the experience much more, the more, the more that I did it. I think the, the, the most difficult thing about shooting a film, uh, if you're coming from theater, is that you don't go from point A to point B. Mm-mm. You're shooting out of sequence. You don't yeah. know where you're coming from. 
or you yeah. might be coming from a scene that you haven't even done yet. You know, yeah. and I think that's, so. There's that a craft to that. There is an art to that, which I think now that I'm older, I finally see and I finally understand. Um, but I do love the chronological, you know, the point A, point B, point C, point D. I like that. I like the sequence of events as they happen in a play or in a musical, because you you don't really have to think. You said once you're set on momentum, then you. It's go time, yeah. and you just, you know, your your steamroll ahead. On film, as you as you said, you you film out a sequence. You're come. You're, sometimes it's the first day, and you film a kissing scene with somebody that you've literally just met that day. So, <laughs> you know, there's yeah. I mean, I just did a film which just came out in the states, and there was a guy who was playing my husband and. I had met him literally on the set on that day. We didn't have anything romantic, but we had to argue. Yeah. And, you know, so I just had to put myself in a place of being married to this person who I probably will never see again after the shooting day. And, yeah, I, I, it was one day and I never saw him again. <laughs> I think <laughs> one or two days and then I just never saw him again. Don't even, I, yeah. Um, lovely man, though. Lovely man. And this is for Yellow Rose, right? Yes, this was for Yellow Rose, which is getting great reviews. Yeah, it's 85% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm so proud. It's really a beautiful film. It's it's really something. I am so proud that I was a part of it. I'm so glad I said yes to it. It's it's timely without being preachy, without Mm -hmm. being super political, uh, but it raises a lot of issues that I think a lot of people can relate to, whatever background. Uh, you know, they come from. I think there's going to be something in the film that they will be able to see and find a character that they can kind of attach themselves to emotionally. And Eva Noblezada's Rose is just fantastic. So I'm, I'm hoping that it becomes available soon via streaming platforms yeah. so that people here will be able to see it as well. Um, I, I know that ABS-CBN was supposed to... You know, they were one of our equity partners in the making of the film. So I don't know what the plan is as far as the release here. Um, yeah, so I'm just waiting for news. But I'm, I'm hoping that it does get streamed. And if it does, then there will be access to it in yes. other territories without having to leave your home. Yes. Um, well, hopefully, hopefully by then, you know, the movie theaters, well, here, the movie theaters have been slowly opening up. Yeah. I mean, you still have to observe, observe distancing. Um, but yeah, and, and if we're able to prove that the numbers aren't affected by people, in, even in a limited way, you know, by people going to the theaters and enjoying a movie, you know, then then at least we know that we're on the road to, you know, I'm not going to say recovery. That's not quite right. But, you know, the road back to some sort of normalcy. I mean, obviously things are not going to be back to the normal that was 2019. Um, It may be a while before we get there, but at least we're starting to find a groove um, and know what the rules are. And, And I'm glad that people here are generally compliant with the mask wearing. Yes, uh, and the face shields. It gives me. It makes me feel secure on the rare days that I do go out 
to do whatever errand or see a couple of friends for lunch. It's, yeah, it feels, I feel safer knowing that I have to fill out a health declaration when I sit down or go anywhere. It makes me feel good that establishments are doing this. Um, you know, even if it's, you know, just for the peace of mind aspect, it's, it, it feels good. You know, I just got tested this morning. I took the swab test this morning, which is my first swab test. Okay. And it amazes me that, I mean, the, the protocols, even if you're entering into testing, because I've repurposed myself into a safety officer now mm -hmm. for shoots and for, you know, these hybrid events since all my shows are canceled this year. You know, this yeah, is one way it's still also, being yeah. And it's fantastic that uh, there's, a, there's a fantastic organization called the National um, Live Events Coalition or the oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's creating all these protocols for us to follow because with, with the hope that if we follow all these protocols, then we can go back to, like you said, a semblance of normalcy. Have you ever wanted to make a podcast but just couldn't get your shit together? Well, guys, look no further because there's this great app called Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast on your computer or straight from your phone. All the creation tools you need in one place, plus an idiot-proof interface, makes it a one-stop shop. It's never been easier to create, publish, and distribute whatever your dirty minds want to say. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started. Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. Smooth like butter, baby. Yeah. And I think events are like live events are starting to come back. I mean, people that we know are announcing on Facebook that they're working, yes. which makes me so happy. And I think even corporate clients are figuring out ways to kind of do hybrid events. Um, I think there are TV stations that are figuring out how to continue production of their dramas, of their variety shows, while still following strict uh COVID-19 protocols, it's people are proving that it can be done. And if the numbers are generally unaffected by, by that, then, you know, then, then more can be done. And then we can see what else can be opened. And I think, you know, and it makes me feel good. It makes me feel good that things are starting to open up for people, for friends of ours that haven't been able to work uh, for a while. Um, there have been people that have needed our help and thankfully um, they've gotten the help that they need and now they're back to work, which makes me feel, uh, makes me feel better. Yeah, it makes you breathe easier, you know, that there's, yeah. there's light at the end of the tunnel. Yes. And if slowly we open up, then we can you know, once again, go back to doing what we love to do, how we love to do it, which is all in the yeah. same venue, in the same room with people, and it's mm -hmm. live. And yeah. it might be a while, um, though, because you never know. There's always going to be some, there's always going to be that one son of a gun. Uh, <laughs> there's always going to be that one, that one pasaway. Yeah. Um, you know, who will, who will, who will then, inf who will be become a super spreader. So we don't want that either. Um, yeah. So to prevent that and to prevent another lockdown, I think everyone just needs to be compliant with whatever, you know, rules are in place. It's, it's, it's not selfish. We, 
you do it so that, you know, to ensure that people can go back to work. I mean, for sure, all of us, our immune systems are shot because we're not out in the open and exposed to whatever germs might make us stronger. So it's like we're, everybody's like the boy in the plastic bubble. Yeah, so exactly. we're, we all have to reset our immune systems and get it back on track. And, you know, the only way to do this, let's do this slowly, let's do this safely, and we'll, we'll, we'll be okay. But we have to take, we have to take this slow. We can't do this, you know, can't do this suddenly. My mom's at home. She wants to go out. She wants to be able to do her groceries. Like, yeah. Her do her groceries. She hasn't yeah. been for the last, I don't know how many months. Eight it's months. Now? Eight months. Yeah, it's yeah. eight months. So she hasn't. She hasn't. I mean, she's she has sent someone to do it for her. Um, and she's a senior. I mean, she's 82, 83. She turned eighty three this year, and still strong though. You know, still um, fierce. I'm terrified of your mother. She's a well. I'm just terrified of your mother. I think a lot of people are terrified of my mother. <laughs> unless you're Bobby. Unless you're not, Bobby. Unless exactly. you're Bobby. Like, I'm not terrified of her. Uh, but she does drive me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, bless, bless, bless your mom. Because, yeah, that's that's it's every mom's job to really drive their kids crazy. But also it was your mom that was a driving force behind you. She yeah. was there at every show. Yes. Um, I remember I remember bumping into her backstage in Miss Saigon and avoiding her because it always feels like whenever she sees me and she gives me that look now, oh, what did you do wrong again? What did you do again? Like the and eyebrows more, are always nakataas. Yes. And more often than not, she was right. I was doing something I wasn't supposed to be doing. So there's an immediate guilt. <laughs> there's an immediate guilt of like, oops, I touched somebody's costume. Oh, I touched a prop that I wasn't supposed to touch. And it always felt like she knew what I was doing at every time. Like she was like, she's like, like omni, omnipresent, even if she's not in the theater. It's, it's almost like she's there just because she's always around. <laughs> yeah, but I'm grateful that she was around. There, that was a lot. To carry. Yeah. I mean, being in London at 18, that was a lot to carry. I'm glad that she was there. Because if, if I had been alone, I don't think I could have, I would have lost my my damn mind for sure. So yeah. let's talk about that for a little bit. When you're, you know, you're 18 years old, you just landed the lead role in a brand new musical. Yeah. Um, you, you landed the role in a worldwide search mm -hmm. and you were the one. Um, what was the pressure like? The pressure of like, okay, what was the population of the Philippines in 1988-89? Do we know? Does anybody know? How do oh. we, can we ballpark this maybe at 79, 80 million people? Million? Yeah, yeah. 80 million? Just think, make one mistake, 80 million people will be very disappointed. That's the, that's the feeling. <laughs> oh my God. I'm, I'm sure 40 million of those did, could not care less. Um, <laughs> if I'm being honest. You know, um, but that's how it felt. It felt like it just felt like there was such national pride attached to all of us that went on that initial group. And and that if any of us did not do well, 80 million people would be very disappointed and would feel shame, shame, embarrassment, collective shame. Um, so that there was a lot of of, of pressure. Um, but thankfully, thankfully, the show was a hit. 
the reviews, well, the reviews for me were, were quite good. And they got even better when I transferred over to New York. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of pressure. So I'm thankful that I had my mom there because you need a support system to help buttress some of that, to help, you know, take some of the load off. Um, especially at that point, there was uh, like a few months after we opened, I started losing my voice. Mm. And so for about two and a half, three weeks, I had to be taken off the show and see a voice doctor, a voice therapist, and then start like singing lessons with Mary Hammond, who's one of the best singing teachers in London. I think she's still fully booked and still teaching. Um, but yeah, a lot of the singing technique that I have is taught by her. Um, and she, she put me through the ringer. She made me sing not just stuff from the show to change the technique of how I went into singing those songs. But she made me sing arias. She made me sing Disney princess stuff. She made me sing stuff from other musicals. You know, just to throw all kinds of different things at me in order to train my voice to, to do all kinds of different things so that it wasn't just that one thing that it would get used to. Yeah. So I remember there was a song she taught me, How Were Things in Glockamora? I'm like, what the heck is that? <laughs> Where is that from? Um, was that from Finian's Rainbow? Possibly? I think it's from, yeah. yeah that's, it might have been from Finian's Rainbow. So, yes. And was also was already also teaching me the importance of the lyric, how to turn even one word into something important. Um, so there's also that. And then the, the first Disney princess song she taught me, actually the only prince, Disney princess song she taught me was Part of Your World from The Little Mermaid. So I, I was singing that for weeks. And the cool thing was, that's the song I used to audition for Aladdin with. Ooh. So it was already it was already in my body. So it was like, I got this. <laughs> and I'm you a, did. <laughs> I'm going to sing that song and I'm going to get that job. But yeah, so it, 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 it felt, it, it was almost, it felt karmic that, that I had that song kind of already as part of as as part of all of these singing lessons with Mary it felt it felt like it was destiny that i had that song i sang that song and then it led me to something else so it was really cool it made you a bonafide disney princess yeah thank and you Tony Benson. yeah <laughs> and then you became you you've been officially declared a disney legend yeah. No. Okay. The so same what, year as Jody Benson. So we got ours in the same year, which is really cool. So I got mine in the same year as Anika Noni Rose, who played Tiana in Princess and the Frog. Uh, same year as um, Paige O'Hara, who was Belle in the movies in Beauty and the Beast, and Jody Benson, who was Ariel in just about everything that came out that had anything to do with The Little Mermaid. Yeah, and Linda Larkin, who was the speaking voice of Jasmine. So the five of us got our Disney Legend trophies on the same day. Um, so four of us sang because Linda doesn't sing. So the four of us got together to sing all sorts of to sing our stuff from the movies mm. that we had made. So it was it was nice to be able to sing Reflection, to sing the full version of Reflection because it's much yeah. shorter than the film. Yeah, yeah, and and because the ceremony was in the morning, I got to. 
with my family, visit the park in the afternoon. And I had Nicole with me. Um, so our families all got to just take a romp in the park. It's fun. So is that is that one of the perks of being in Disneyland? Anytime you show up at any Disneyland, can you just waltz in? I can walk in. I have a card. Oh. I have like a little card. Yeah. And I think there might be some blackout dates, like a few, like when it's really, really busy, but I wouldn't want to go then anyway. Um, you know, like Christmas, Thanksgiving, Halloween, those, those, those dates, I tend to avoid like the plague because it's way too crowded. Um, so yeah, my daughter will never know the experience of lining up to go into Disneyland. <laughs> We, oh, we've Nicole, done, that's rock and roll. I know, man. I know, right? So <laughs> we've gone through back entrances to go into the park. We go through back entrances to go from one part of the park to another part of the park, and we've had escorts, which has been, which which is really cool. Um, they help us with restaurant reservations and uh, helping to reserve seats for attractions in the park. Um, I don't do the roller coasters anymore. I get really you know, I get car sick, so I get mm. nauseated from the speed and the twists and the turns. So if it's like a slow ride, I'll do it. Um, boring, yeah, bring it on. Uh, if it's like a show, show like um, sitting down and then watching an attraction or watching a group yeah. of performers, that I will do. And that's always fun. And I'm usually one of the loudest people in the theater. You are always one of the loudest people in the theater. <laughs> Yeah, you don't know yeah. how to whisper. No, um, I, I do. I, I, I remember. I remember during our first rehearsals in Fun Home, when there was a scene going on, and you were like 10, 15 feet away from me, and I could hear you. I was outside. You were, trying to, you were you were out. That's yeah, and I had to go and tell you, Leah, and she's like, I don't know how to whisper. <laughs> My voice just carries. I don't know if it's the frequency of it. Because I will be having a conversation with, with a normal tone of voice. I swear to God, it's normal. But it, it carries and it pierces through objects. So yep. maybe it's just, it's, it's just that kind of a voice. Maybe it was just meant to, you know, be in theater. Because even, even at a normal volume, you'll hear me in the back. So it's nice. It's nice yeah. to have that in my arsenal. It's good. Yeah, but if you're the assistant director like me and Bobby's like, it's like somebody's on, noisy outside, I'm like, it's Leia. What can I do? You know, that's <laughs> you how her voice Yeah, and I swear, he used to tell me to tell you to be quiet just for the fun of seeing me freak out <laughs> and me thinking, I, I have to tell Leia to be quiet. It's fine. And I'm going to, I'm probably going to. You can tell yeah. me to be quiet. It's okay. I'm, I don't take it hard. My goodness. I know, but the first time I had to do it, of course I was nervous. Because I'm like, I, I realized after I, I, I shushed you, I had to go back in and I had to realize, wait, I just told Leah to be quiet. I wonder if I'm going to have my job tomorrow. <laughs> it's just a thought that randomly goes through my head. I wonder if I'm going to have my job. Have job tomorrow. God. No, you, you'd have to be a major transgressor of something yeah. to no longer be hired in an Atlantis show. You, 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 you have to do something pretty big. You better be. You better commit some really grave sin yeah, to get on Bobby's nerves. It, it better be big. That's true. So I'd like to talk. Okay, so we've we've you know the pressures of being in Miss Saigon. You've gone to from West End to Broadway, from Broadway to Disney. 
Um, one thing that I was always trying to catch, but I could not get a chance to, and I'm very interested in World War II and what went around it because it helped me oh, yeah. understand my parents. And um, can we talk about allegiance? What drew sure. you to allegiance? Oh, um, as you know, I'm married to a Japanese American. So the story of allegiance, which is loosely based on George Takei's experience as one of the 120,000 Japanese American internees that were basically, you know, pulled from their homes at the wrong end of the bayonet and hauled away to these internment camps in some of the most desolate, dreary, awful locations in the West Coast. He was in Rower Camp in Arkansas first. No, he was. He remembers being at Santa Anita Racetrack and his family in a stall, in a horse stall. And it smelled of manure. um, And he remembers having to sleep in a horse stall. You know, it's kind of dehumanizing if you think about it. And then to get carted off and trucked away and put on a train and sent to Arkansas. um, They basically had everything but their dignity taken away. So what was attractive in the story to me was that something like this could happen in America. You wouldn't think, and and it was the first time that I ever knew about it, that I ever knew that there was such a thing as the Japanese American internment during World War II, uh, brought, brought on by the bombing of Pearl Harbor by the Japanese Imperial forces. Um, yeah. I believe. Um, and so because Japanese Americans looked like the enemy, there was no proof that Americans of Japanese descent actually did anything, but they, you know, people were suspicious yeah, that people oh, were angry. Maybe they're spying. Um, maybe they're not loyal. So there were these like on this, lo- there was a loyalty questionnaire that was distributed to every single person in the camp at every camp um and question number 27 and question number 28 were about do you forswear allegiance you know to i can't remember what it is but it's it's basically saying do you swear your allegiance to the united states and do you forswear your allegiance to you know to the emperor of japan but and, and a lot of people were, it was, they were so conflicted. For the younger generation, it was very easy to say, absolutely, I will say yes to this. And I have no allegiance anyway. So I'll just say yes to this and be done with it. But, it, but for the older generation, for a lot of them who migrated from Japan, yeah. it's like, we, why are you questioning our allegiance? We chose to be here. And we have no allegiance to the, to, to say in the, in question 28, do you forswear allegiance to the Japanese emperor? It's, there is an assumption that there was an allegiance to the Japanese emperor to begin with. True. So, so there, there was, there was a lot of conflict within families regarding this questionnaire. There were people that would say yes, just to be done with it. But there were a lot of the elders who said no out of principle because it's like we don't have a an allegiance to this person to this country i don't understand why you are 
demanding this of us. So in the story of allegiance, you'd have father and son going up against each other. And then my role as the sister is trying to find the common ground and balance, you know, between these two men, you know, but as a Japanese American woman still trying to find her place, it's, it's a tough, it's, you know, you're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place between these two people that you love. And yeah, and so that conflict, we had to play out that conflict. And there were resistors within the camps because of that questionnaire. Um, so it was a very interesting show to be a part of because there had to be this balance of, because of also what George was telling us. It's like, yeah, this was a terrible experience, but the people who were imprisoned in these camps would always try to find pockets of joy whether it's in baseball or scouting or dances. Wow. Um, and there would be like a dance. There was a song called Paradise, which had a very stinging indictment of what was happening to them. And, you know, here's, here's one young man who is so loyal to the United States and wants to do everything he can to prove it, even joining the military. And then here's another young man who was resisting, who is on the opposite side that my character falls in love with and ends up a resistor herself. So it's just interest. It was an interesting experience seeing all of these dynamics play out. And I think a lot of people shied away from watching it because they had no idea. It's, it's just, they make the assumption that, okay, it's, it's, this is going to be what the show is. And the title is allegiance. What is this going to mean? Is this going to be an anti-American show? And actually, no, it's not. It's yeah. not an anti-American show. But as American citizens in the show, it's their right to question. It's their right to say, why is it like this? Why are you doing this to us? Why are you putting us in these concentration camps, which is pretty much what they were? Um why are you putting American citizens behind barbed wire fences yeah. when we did absolutely nothing? And it was proven that these citizens, all 120,000, did nothing. They did not help the Japanese imperial forces. They did not help the emperor. They did not help Japan. There was a, a division called the, the 442 um, which was like suffered the most casualties and so many deaths fighting for the United States. So many young Japanese American men who fought, you know, for freedom and yeah. to prove their allegiance. It was an all Japanese American unit, and, you know, and then I think they would be like climbing like a cliff or something. If they fell, they could not scream because then the enemy would know they were there. So imagine that if, if anybody like fell or what, they had to stay silent so that the enemy would not be alerted of their presence. But they were able to get so much done. They earned so many Purple Hearts. They earned so much honor. And I think as, as, as much as there were so many casualties and there were American flags presented to their parents who were still inside the camps, by the way, so the irony, the irony of this. Wow. So 
to be able to dramatize this in some way and the the you know and 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 when it came time to leave the camps everyone was presented with like $25 and a bus ticket home it's like wow that's it and wow. so everybody on stage is like you know it's so yeah so people who watched the show were exposed to what happened um but the 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 internees did not allow the experience to rob them of joy of dignity of love um you know of a sense of humor um and it was it was really something special to be part of this and also i love george so there you go i love george too <laughs> he's amazing yeah. but can you imagine the story and having to put this on stage eight times a week It, it does um, take a lot out of you, yeah. I, I can't help but feel like you know um, this this story, even if it happened during World War II, is still so relevant today. Yeah, um, where people who are of a different race or of a different color are all of a sudden identified as the enemy. I mean, take yeah. for example 9-11. Um, sure, they've identified you know terrorists coming from the Middle East as you know, committing those heinous crimes. But then it doesn't mean that every single Middle Eastern immigrant into the, into the United States is immediately guilty of terrorism. So when all, a lot, there was a lot of anti-Arab, anti-Middle East sentiment, I think, going on in the United States. So it was like, oh God, it's happening again. Well, it's, it's, it's even happening. All over again, it's still happening. It's still happening, and still, it's even happening here, in a sense where you know, if you belong to one group, that means you're the enemy. If you have a different opinion, yeah. um, I, I mean, I run into I run into racism or a version of racism every day, where I'm treated better because I'm a little fairer, yeah. or I'm a little taller, or maybe it's because I look scary, right? Walking into these buildings, I don't get searched, right? But there's at the that. same time, there's there's an, uh, uh, an inequality. That's happening, and it's it's amazing that because I had never known the history of um, of allegiance of, of the, the backstory of allegiance, and I didn't, yeah. I was not aware about these internment camps, and mm-hmm. I my research of World War II was confined to what happened here because I had to understand why my parents are the way they are because they yeah, my mom war. is the way that she is because of it. I mean, her wartime experience was being on the wrong end of a gun, uh, of a you know, seeing Japanese soldiers pointing guns at her family. So, you know, there's, and she hoards whenever she goes grocery shopping because she's scared to run out of food. And she's like, I went through war. That's why I'm like that. So that's exactly what my parents would say. And then this obsession with Hershey's chocolates and spam. Correct. Well, spam, not so much. The turkey spam, my mom will still get. She'll get that because it's turkey and it's, Apparently safer. It's still canned. It's still a canned good. <laughs> it's still not that healthy. It's But still yeah, that not meant- that healthy. It's a nice indulgence to have. I like spam light. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the normal spam I find too salty for me. But the the spam light's good, or even the low sodium stuff. Um, it's a nice indulgence once in a while, not as a regular everyday thing. Yeah, but the the significance of spam and Hershey's chocolate is to our parents. Yeah, made them feel like I mean, like literally, my mom felt like the war was over. 
when an American GI gave her a Hershey's chocolate bar. Yeah, my mom That's says the same thing. Knew. We got really? chocolates from the from the American soldiers. They gave us chocolate, and she would always get spam from like the PX goods on base because we lived near Angeles for a while. Yeah. So, yeah, there was there, there's that, and she has very strong memories of of living there and the PX store that she would frequent to get milk, to get her canned goods, and she identified anything American as being superior. It's colonial mentality. And sorry, yeah. mom, but it's true. Um, yeah. Now, though, you know, you know, but now, though, it seems to be moving to Asia that if something is made in this part of the world, it's a good product. I mean, look at how many Samsung phones, the iPhones are made in China, uh, Sony's made in Japan. So your PlayStations are made in Japan, y'all. And oh, you know, the new PS5 um, is coming out. The PS5 is coming out. And the Xbox, what is it, 10? Yeah, yeah, I think that's coming out. So, so yeah. So I mean, it's a much more global marketplace. That just because something is made in a certain place doesn't make doesn't guarantee that it's a good thing or a bad thing. True. And I'm glad that you know, Japanese, Korean, um, products are recognized in the global marketplace as being excellent. Like anything that comes out of this continent is going to be excellent, which is a nice thing to be able to say. You know. Yes. Yeah. It's a source of pride for us. Yeah. That at least our region is getting like, yeah, man, it's made here and it's good. It's made here and it's fantastic. It's not going to break down. I mean, when something's made in Japan, you know it's not going to break down because the attention to detail, the, uh, the, the attention to detail, it's painstaking. Like, you know they put love and care into making that game console for you. It's, it's fantastic. Down to my, I had a, a Japanese car. I bought it. In 2002, I bought it around my birthday when I turned 31. I had that car for more than 10 years. Wow. And yeah, I finally sold it when I realized I wasn't going to be living in the States for very long, for much longer because I had moved here and was predominantly here. But I kept the car anyway at my aunt's house. So it was like this, this I just have to maintain it, make sure it gets a smog check every other year. It's it's a bulldozer. It's a car that just it refuses to die. I've never had any issues with it. And it it's it's just testament to how well built it was. Now now I've sold it and I'm sad um because I love that car. So <laughs> I I have confidence in products that come from this part of the world. It's nice to be able to say. And it's great also that like parts of our culture are beginning to be completely out there especially the filipino yeah. culture we have yes. filipinos in almost every film now we have yes. you know john john's on uh on on ratchet, ratchet. you know that that it's amazing I, to see. It. I know i haven't i that's on my that's on my um so i'm gonna get to that playlist right now i know there's so many things and now it's ironic because now that we're getting busier you're i'm freaking out now oh no when am i gonna finish this series so i can get to the next yeah I mean, I started the next season of The Boys. Oh, it's mm. fantastic. So it's good. Amazing. So good. It's so good. Um, but I, I probably would have to go back to episodes one and two to, to get my momentum back because I lost it. Yeah. You know, I've been in the BTS rabbit hole. And, and <laughs> I've been, every interview I've done since August, I think, I've had to okay. say these words. I'm in a BTS rabbit hole. No, I do not need to be saved. 
they are making this pandemic experience much more joyful and happy. And they are fantastic. Oh my God, and the work ethic. Bito Escalante says, discipline ng teatro. It's, I don't think any of them does theater, um, but the discipline that they put into it, the work ethic, the hunger in their eyes. Okay, so I found this concert on Netflix where it's a big K-pop concert. Okay. Um, so BTS is one of the acts. And then there's other acts. You know, I, I don't remember all of them. I think Shiny was like the big boy band at the time. So they were like the last act to perform. There are rappers, there are other singers and girls and guy, girl, girl bands, boy bands. Their number, they were, you could see it in their eyes. It was like maybe a couple of years after their debut and the hunger and the intensity and this desire to prove themselves worthy yeah. of that spot. You could see it there because they were like, they were not casual about anything. Yeah. You know, there was that, like everything that was so forward and everyone was so much more laid back. Like it was, we're just doing a Sunday variety show concert. Let's just have fun. Sila, it, it was serious business. I'm like, oh, these guys mean, these guys are hungry. Yeah, you can tell, you can really tell that they're hungry. And, and their youngest is, I think, like the hungriest of all of them. Whoever I mean, that was. Wow, amazing. I mean, I'm not a K-pop fan, but because of your posts, I started watching their videos and my jaw just dropped. Because right? not only are the songs really catchy, but you can really sense the hunger. And they're not, they're not products of the usual K-pop machinery. Yeah. Which is, I think, what is making them stand out and be more different. I yeah. think they're they're hungry and they're, they're taking hungry. it seriously and they're out to yeah. take over the world. Yeah, they're they're ambitious. You know, yeah. one of them who's one of the rappers, his name is Sugar. Mm -hmm. Um because he was a shooting guard when he played basketball in school. So Sugar, but I think they named him Sugar because he was so sweet or maybe so fair skinned because the guy is white. It's it's not even fair skinned. He's white. He's a reflector. He's so maputi. <laughs> And savage, um, but he raps his the speed. It's like if ever they do Hamilton in Korea, he should play Lafayette. That's how fast his mouth is. So I could compare his speed to that. But he, ever, he would make a prediction about where the band would go next. So he would say, uh, "Billboard, we'll do, we'll hit number one on Billboard," and they did. They debuted at number wow. one. Wow. And he then was he said, shots. and he was calling. She was just. He was like, they call him. Was this? Um, because his full name is Min Yunki, so they mm -hmm. the fans call him Min Stradamus. So ah. ah, so so he would predict uh, performance on the Grammys or appearance on the Grammys, and then they and then performance on the Grammys, and then I think the next one is like nominated for a Grammy. I think that's that's the next prediction he's making. Wow. And after Dynamite, you never know. I mean, let's see what the industry does at this point. Um, so well, I don't know. The, the miracle of it is yeah. that you've got me listening to these to guys. And, you know, I don't know if I'm going to lose <laughs> my street cred for being a rocker about this. No, but then you really, have to, you have okay. to I'm appreciate going to, I'm going to recommend this to you because one of there's one of them who goes by another name also when he does his solo rap stuff. Uh -huh. It's August, well, not August as an A-U-G-U-S-T. It's A-G-U-S-T 
hyphen and then D. So it's August D. He raps solo. It's it's incredible. It's very different from what he does with BTS. And it's like it's like the music is very different. What he does on his own is very different with what he does as an idol. So there's the idol and then there's this rapper, this hardcore with profanity rapping. Wow. Yeah. And it's, yeah, the first single out of the, his second, they call it a mixtape, but it's really a solo album. The first single from that, it's a work of art. You have to check this video out. It's, I, I will send it to you because I don't want to spell it out here. It's yeah. hot. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's well, I just, typed, I just typed down his name, so I will definitely search. Yeah. And if I don't, if I don't one of your emerge... producers will have to look for it because they can actually type things out for you because they're unseen. And, and if I if, if yeah. I end up like going down the, the BTS rabbit hole, we all know that it's going to be just go down fault. an August D rabbit hole, and then maybe go down a rap monster rabbit hole. Those are the good ones, I think, because then because they they do harder stuff when it's so when it's the solo stuff. Because with BTS, it's much more family friendly. Yeah, yeah. You know, as in they don't they don't even take their shirts off for anybody. They'll show abs, but that's it. Um, but yeah, it's 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 pretty wholesome. With but there's 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 a sex appeal that they all have. Um, they're all very attractive, and after a while, you get to you're you're able to tell all seven of them apart and how different they all are from one another. And then you start to pick out who is the one I tend to watch the most, and then you pick that person out, and that's the one you follow pretty much every time you watch them. It's fun. It's just so much fun. I will take your word for it. I will take your word for it, and I will start investigating this rabbit hole. But to go back, okay, so you've had you've had a really full schedule. I mean, your 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 schedules are sometimes like insane between time zones and everything that you're juggling. And it was was like that up until COVID. Yeah, yeah, up until COVID. But what amazed me to find out um, that you were you're actually an avid gamer. So when we were talking about the PlayStation earlier, I just had to ask you about that. So what kind of games do you like to play? It depends on the platform. And what's your platform? Okay. Uh, I tend to play more on the Xbox, um, but I also play on the PS4 at the moment, the PS4 Pro. I got a copy of Final Fantasy, like the remake of Final Fantasy VII. It's amazing. And I would spend, I think I spent a good couple of weeks of the quarantine. I mean, I don't sleep much anyway to begin with, but I spent many late nights into early mornings playing that thing. Guys, it's never been easier to make a podcast. All you got to do is look for a great app called Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast on your computer or straight from your phone. All the creation tools you need in one place, plus an idiot-proof interface. Man, you can create, publish, and distribute whatever you want to say. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started. Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. Smooth like butter, baby. trying to finish as many quests as I could, you know, going into 
completionist mode. Um, <laughs> that, that's just that's just how I play. Even with Assassin's Creed, I'm like that, and I can't wait for the the new one to come out at the end of this month. Yes, so I saw the previews. Oh, I saw the previews. They look it's fantastic. So, oh my god, I saw the previews, and I'm like, oh, that character just did not do that, and it's fantastic, fantastic. I cannot wait. And I'm a huge Assassin's Creed fan anyway. So, I mean, I loved Odyssey. I think I played through like three, four times. The complete playthroughs. So, over the course of like a year, I play first as the girl, then I play as the guy, then I play as the girl again, and then get all the downloadable content, play again. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's so good. So good. It was, it's so excellently done there would be glitches here and there but i mean that's just the nature of the beast but you 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 accept it when you purchase the game but it's so worth whatever money i spent sulit talaga because i end up playing it so many over, times over yeah and you play things in a different sequence and you know you like what would happen if i did this before i did that so it becomes that game and you have to go on the internet to find other secrets um, you know, if you finish, if you finish, say this particular quest, then you get a certain weapon or a certain type of armor or, yeah. you know, and, and you, and then you try to level up everything. Um, and then you have to get a specific armor so that the atmosphere of hell does not affect you. Things like that. So it's, it's, it's fun and you actually have to think. But after a while, when you have enough sets of armor and everything's powered up, it kind of gets boring and you kind of leave everything. Because you're super powerful already. Because you're super powerful. There's no challenge anymore. <laughs> you know, and have then you, you ever just have, want to come out. Have you ever voiced for a video game? No. Because that's... I, I think, want uh, to do that so bad, you know? And if I get to voice make for it a happen. video game... If, if I get to voice for a video game, I think it's, it's, it's like I'm set. I'll be so happy. I mean, obviously, I, I, I want to keep on working. But, I mean, I voice for animated stuff. I've, mm -hmm. I've done theater. I've done film. I've done television. Live performances. Concerts. To do a voice for a video game. That would be... That would be pretty effing cool. That would be super cool. Oh, okay, yeah. so you, universe, make this happen. Please make this happen. We have. She's at home. She's got a great setup. She's got a wonderful mic. Yes. You know, she, she released a, a, you know, vocals and singles for all these uh, recordings. So she can definitely, if you send her a script. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I probably still have to audition for stuff like that, which is fine. I mean, I have no qualms about auditioning. I'm not arrogant. I'll audition for stuff, and it's fun. Um, I've had to do like a couple of self-tape things here at home. Mm -hmm. And once you get the hang of it, it's like, all right, like any other audition, you just can't do it in person. But it's it's more relaxed because you're in your own environment and you can kind of control the environment and how you present yourself. Um, yeah. So there are advantages to self-taping at home. And it's it's actually quite fun. I've, I've learned to find joy, but it's still an anxious process auditioning but it's nice to be able to say that i still do it we're talking about like you know taping from home or recording from home um i just want to touch on the one single that has made it 
onto my permanent playlist. I call it my proof of life playlist. And this is Dream ah. Again. Dream Again. Leia, I don't know. Like it oh, fills thank you. So much, it fills me with so much hope. It makes me cry, but from a strong um from a strong place where there is, you know, light at the end of the tunnel, there's hope and really the way that we can all be together again, this song just encapsulates all of that. And this was done during the lockdown, right? Yeah, it was. It was written while we were in lockdown. Uh, one of the writers, Daniel Edmonds, is in, was in Sydney, Australia, still is there. The lyricist, the main lyricist, I mean, both of them did the lyrics for the song. Blair Bodine, she was in Vermont quarantining with her folks. And my manager, Josh Poltz in New York, got us all together to work on this. So they wrote the song and then they started sending demos. Um, and then I liked it. And then here come piano guides, here come figuring out the keys. And then here comes, you know, making the backing track and me recording it with both Blair and Daniel in the room along with Josh uh, so that they can in real time give me feedback. Um, yeah, and by then, in the room, and by in the room me. you mean Zoom. I'm sorry, there, via by, Zoom. Via Zoom. Via Zoom, but I had to learn how to use Logic Pro um, because I had to be my own recording engineer yeah. for this. So I had, I had a setup all done in, the, in my bathroom closet. Um, yeah, I got to be creative. <laughs> so yeah, so I had a setup and everything was fine. And then I went back into it, but unsupervised. I think the following, like two or three days after, because I, I wanted to like I wanted to do the vocal over again. I wasn't happy, mm-hmm. so I wanted to do it unsupervised and just let her rip. And then I sent the vocals to Daniel, and then everything got mixed and mastered in the UK. Uh, various musicians came together for it. We had a drummer from Australia, a guitar player from Los Angeles who did this. Our keyboardist was Daniel, who was in Sydney. The two backup singers were in Sydney as well, I think, but they were definitely in Australia. Um, We got feedback also from Gerard, who was in Kuala Lumpur already. So it was a global team that did this. And it, it turned out to be a project that gave all of us hope and joy. It was... It, it made me so happy to to record it and to finally release it and to shoot this music video just here at home, uh, figuring out, okay, where do I, what do I do? And I don't think I had the quite the correct setup yet. Um, I think things have gotten a little bit better now, <laughs> you know, since it's many months already since then. But it was, yeah, it was it was something that we all felt we needed to express and release out into the world that we can, you know, that we actually can dream again. Yes. That we actually, you know, once all of this is over and we, we should prepare ourselves for the kind of joy we know we are going to feel. Um, yeah, and in, in the meantime, we'll plan. In the meantime, we'll... You know, we'll dream, we'll Zoom conference with our friends and learn different skills while we're still in lockdown. Um, 
yeah, and then just try to keep moving forward until we can all collectively get out again. Yeah, that, I think that's that's the word, collectively move forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we, we can only get through this together. Mm-hmm. And it's all hands on deck if we want to get back to totally, yeah. to making our dreams come true. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why this song is so important. Um, I've been listening to it on loop all day. <laughs> and, and seriously, it, it's just it it just makes me it makes me swell. You know, it, it fills my heart. It makes my soul just fly. And it's the most amazing thing because I mean, really, um, early in the lockdown, a lot of a lot of artists got depressed because a we were declared non-essential, Ugh, and b yeah. our shows got taken away mm-hmm. from us, and we were all left with what are we going to do now? And what's amazing now is because because of not only individual initiatives, but collective initiatives, not only are we, you know, be able to, we're, 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 we're singing online, we're doing our recordings. And not only that, we've learned how to become sound engineers, our yeah. own lighting people, yes. our own wardrobe people. Makeup and artists, make, and hairdressers. You, yeah, for some of us, yeah. And it makes you really appreciate all that hard work, at least for a, the new the new generation of actors who always grew up with a full team behind them mm-hmm. now they're realizing well, you and i came from a tradition of of well once i headed off to the west end i had to do everything on my own so yeah i mean the only person that ever touched my head was a sound guy to put my microphone in yeah otherwise you know we we had hairdressers because there was microphones involved um but yeah, I remember pretty much being pretty much by my lonesome when I was in Lemis. I had to do my own hair, um, make sure it was cut the right way. But yeah, for Saigon, we really had to be supervised um, just because it, there was so many changes. Yeah. But yeah, it, a lot of younger people, I, I think they're, well, it depends on your tradition. Um, because there are those who you know, like doing things themselves. And then there are those who have a whole team provided for them. Um, so those that are used to taking care of themselves, their own makeup, their own hair, this is no different. You know, but those who are pampered on a regular basis, this is quite the awakening, quite a rude one. What, what I found amusing is that every all the chatter online when people were trying to figure out how to record themselves from home um, or live stream and all the yeah. technical talk i got so many messages because i'm a technical director yeah like jamie what mic should i get jamie what program do you use what you know and it's it's nice <laughs> because like finally these actors who are phenomenal actors who just come out and sing and the only thing they have to worry about is putting their microphone on right right um are now learning how to edit like you just said you had to use logic pro yeah you know um and that yeah. frees you up for a whole other mode of creativity because yeah. now you can like, hey, I can make music on this. This is excellent, you know. It's new. It's new skills. Yeah. That are that are. That you never really thought you'd ever funny. have to learn, because there was always somebody else to do it for you. Yeah. But then in this pandemic, when you really can't, like, go to the recording studio. Maybe now I could. Yeah. Um, you know, if if all the protocols are in place, and if I'd have to get tested, then I mean, fine. If that means I can spend three or four hours in a recording studio to lay down tracks for something, 
then you know what? Yes, that would be so nice. I, I do miss, <laughs> I do miss going. You know, um, and 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 exercising my creativity that way, also. Um, yeah. But that said, it's nice to know that I can do it at home. Um, it's just good to know. And I think everywhere I go now, if I'm back on tour, I take the microphone with me and yeah, you know, and then be able to do a setup in a hotel room. Mm -hmm. If I have to lay down tracks for something real quick. Yeah. You can do it. Yeah. It's fantastic. All right. So we're going to go into this portion now where I'm going to, um, I call it the rundown where I'm going to ask you 10 quick questions. Okay. Turned after our friend James Lipton from the Actor Studio. Ah, okay. Um, with, with a few modifications, just the Uh-oh. first. Oh God. The first thing that comes into your head. Okay, ten quick questions. Okay. So, uh, first question: What is your favorite word? Mm. I don't know that I have. One. Oh my God, this thing is so good. <laughs> You're right. It tastes like childhood. Right? Um, Are you having the Milo buns? Yeah. It's so good. Nicole loves it. I gave her one. Um, a favorite word? I don't know that I have one. It might be an expletive, actually. Okay. But, yeah. Ah, the F word is one of my favorite words. F-bombs okay. are nice to drop. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, going from that, what is your least favorite word? My least favorite words. I'm late. I'm going to be late. Those are the ones I hate. <laughs> I hate saying them. I hate hearing them. That is true. Um, yeah. Nakaka-stress. Don't late. Like. Late. Late. Okay. What turns you on? Intelligence. Um, a good pair of eyes. Um, mm. hmm. uh, good food. Really good food. That that will just make me so happy. And what and watching turns- a really good show. That that'll do it. That's true. Okay, what turns you off? <sighs> when I set such high expectations for the show I was gonna watch and it's bang it. Ah <laughs> <laughs> don't like <laughs> I have walked out at intermission because of, oh. of stuff like that, and I hate doing that. But there are times when it's necessary, um, you know, and it's not out of disrespect for the people who are there. I mean, I ran into those, those people and like, I'm sorry, I had to get out that intermission. And they're like, oh, don't worry. We understand if we could have gotten up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's true. I've been in some shows like that. I've watched some shows like that. And really, it's a difference between after the show that you're really proud of and you hang out outside. Yeah. Well, you but can't if you're not proud. Things, yes. But if you're not proud of the show, you're like, I'm going home. I'm going home. I'm going, I'm going home. home. I have to. And then you're trying to be so discreet as you're leaving. <laughs> how do I be discreet? So how, how? How? Tell me how. I'm not exactly anonymous. You'll have to put on a disguise. Just to leave. <laughs> just to leave. Just to go home. <laughs> you should have one on standby. Just, you like know. A mask if you don't, yeah, like a mask. Well, nowadays, now, everybody now has mask. to be masked. Nobody's going to know. That's true. There you go. So we've figured it out. We've figured it out. <laughs> no, but people will still know. The mask wearing should be mandatory. 
just so that in case the show is bad, <laughs> if you leave, no one will know you were there. <laughs> That's a good For idea. Reason, mask wearing should be encouraged. Okay, question number five. What, okay. sound, what sound or noise do you love? Oh, what sound or noise? Quite a few. I like the crunch of freshly baked bread. Ah. Um, what are the sounds? Uh, applause is nice. It's nice, but it's not my favorite sound. Weird naman, I know if it was. Um, the sound of my daughter calling my name, calling me mama. That's always oh. like the best. The best. That's the best sound for me when she's like, Ma, when, especially when she's being malambing. And it's really, it's, it's really, really sweet. Or if I'm in my, if I'm in the bedroom and her, her bedroom's like just like, like a door away. And I hear her singing, and she's loud. Uh. And so, where else she gonna get it from, right? <laughs> so, and she, you know, she she sings Sondheim. She'll sing musicals. She'll sing from animation, and I'll hear it, and it's like, oi, this girl has pipes. She has lungs on her. Yeah. So, yeah, and of course, Menchu, who's her ninang, will say, "Ay, mana sa ninang." <laughs> Well, with the both of you, there we go. Yeah, she's loud because Menchu's her Nina. So there you go. No, she's loud because she's your daughter. Yeah, sorry. She doesn't know You're how to whisper either. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's true. When we were working together in Matilda, I could hear her from the wings during the number. And Ay. I'm like, anak ka talaga ng nanay mo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. But, you know, she, she wants to get into doing musicals. It's, it's, it's something that she's looking to as a career. But she's also, she's now proving herself to be a fantastic writer. She has to write something for one of her school projects. And she's actually good. I'm like, babe, you can sell this. <laughs> <laughs> babe, you can publish this. I, I think people will like it. So we'll see. Excellent. We'll see. Yeah. Okay, okay. so... Going from that, what sound or noise do you hate? Sound or... Ah, busina in traffic. Don't like it. People heard I mean, if, on their if, it's, if it's like the one or two pop-up, you know, just to go into your house, that, that's okay. That's, that's acceptable. But when it's this relentless cacophony of horns, yeah, it's, it sounds like a nightmare. It's... it's it's like you're, you're the little sanctuary that you've created for yourself while you're in traffic. It's already a stressful situation, but this little bubble that you try to create, even if it's in your mind, it's, it's, it's all of a sudden invaded by noise, you know, and you sense the impatience, you sense people's, you know, the, the stress levels rising. You can feel it. You can feel it around you just yeah. from the sound. And, you know, and you, you try to be understanding that, yes, everybody in this in this traffic jam has a place to get to. We all have places to get to. Let's just try to be patient, you know, but it's it's hard and I, I'm understanding of it. But, you know, I tell my driver, let's, let's not add na lang to this. Wag na nating dagdagan pa yung ingay. 
anyway, we're stuck here. We might just let's play some music and let's just try to take a breath and let it not be, you know. And then I tell the tell the person that I'm meeting that I'm stuck here. I'm so sorry. And yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if you know Leah Salongas in the car, stop making Bufina, guys. Okay? <laughs> Trust me, you'll be able to hear her if she tells you to be quiet. <laughs> okay, next question. If you could perform, and you've, you've, you've collaborated with a lot of amazing people, but if, right. you, if you could choose one, living or dead, to perform or collaborate with, who would that be? Seth MacFarlane, the family. Oh, I saw, I saw your interview. Yes, I was so kinig. And then the funny thing was, so there was the interview and I thought that that was it. The hosts of this, this other program showed Seth that snippet of my interview. So I'm like, oh my God! So, so, so I'm screaming because now he's, he, he knows that I said all these things about him. And so I'm like, ah. Oh. <laughs> F my life, F. And so I, so there's, I'm a little embarrassed, you know, but he was so complimentary and very, very sweet. So, I mean, if the universe makes it happen, I'll be very, very happy because his voice is incredible. It's, yeah. it's, it's not just, it's not the stuff on Family Guy. You get his albums. It's, it harkens back to a different time where it's the stuff that Frank Sinatra may have recorded but has not really been heard so much so mm-hmm. his album so Seth's albums are just beautiful I can and imagine I no playlist. it's just this 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 voice it's honey it's honey that comes out of a speaker that's that's his voice I can, I can imagine the I can imagine the both of you collaborating on either an album or doing all the voices for a video game oh god <laughs> <laughs> I just want one song. I would love for one duet of something really old that hasn't that something that's not hackneyed or recorded to death. So I'm sure he would be able to find something that we could do together. He's he's just like, oh my God. I have a major crush on his voice. It's she's just so gifted, magnificent vocal ability. Okay, we're gonna send Seth this video. Just to bombard him and to put the idea in his head now, dude, uh, come on. <laughs> Pick a song, man. Pick a song. Yeah, I'd love it. I'd love it. Okay, I really next would. question. If your face was on a t-shirt, what would it say? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know. Um. Man, my mind's come to a blank. Or would it say, I don't know? <laughs> and that's your expression. Don't ask me. I'm not in charge. Maybe that's <laughs> what I... There we go. That's a great t-shirt. <laughs> I'm not in charge. Don't I'm ask not me. in charge. <laughs> I only look like I am, but I'm not. Somebody else is higher up than me. Okay, we have two more questions. I want to skip what's your favorite curse word because you already said F-bombs. Yeah. Right, so I'm going to modify it with another question. Um, what song do you sing that gives you or brings back the pure joy of singing? If you had to choose one, one. that you never tire of, that you just I love don't tire of any of them. That's the funny thing. Um, 
even the songs I've been doing for the like the last 30 years, things like I Give My Life For You or On My Own or what, um, I can honestly say that I don't ever get tired of them. And when I open my mouth to sing them, they feel new. And they, it, it, I just feel joyful every time I open my mouth to sing. Whatever song, you know, whatever song it is. I mean, obviously, if I'm feeling poorly, if I'm feeling under the weather or tired, then singing is not as much fun. I mean, I can do it, but I just have to think more about my technique and how to reach those high notes. And this is where the recording engineer person in me comes in. I know how to make it sound good um, mm. as well. Ah, ah. So there's, ah there's that. <laughs> um, but yeah, but when I'm feeling really good and strong and, and everything is connecting, it's, it's it, I, I just, yeah, it, opening my mouth, any song makes me feel joyful and it should feel that way and yeah. yeah and there's always because there's always something new to be found in every song even if you've sung it a gazillion times and you know maybe when i was younger i would get tired of singing the songs because i didn't know how to mine the songs for what they were worth yeah but as you get older and you live life and then you look at the song again, you find, oh my gosh, there's something new that I didn't, that never occurred to me was in there. And then you start getting curious. Where, where, what else? What other song is there that I can mine for something? And depending on what you're going through in your life, you'll find something different and you'll find something new. And something maybe that didn't used to be relevant finds relevance in your life. And then it becomes interesting to sing it because it's all of a sudden reflecting more directly on what's happening rather than just kind of being a song that you just kind of sing. It becomes something else and it takes on a whole different life. So, yeah. So I, I can't say that there is a song that, like a song that brings me joy because they all do. It's nice to be able to say that. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Okay, last question um, before we get to one for the road. Um, okay. All right, so, yeah, what, when you get to heaven, which is not a long time, it's going to be a long time from now. Oh, God, I hope so. Never what, know, would, what would you like God to say to you? You did well. That's all. And yes, and yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> With my way. answer, it's going to be probably like, wait, let me check if you're on the list. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> wait, long I'd huh? like to think that God knows our hearts. You know, we're going to be judged via a whole different set of rules. So, you know, you live, you be a good, for me, it's be as good a person as you can be and do as well as you can. Because life is so short. You have to live life well. Yes. That's true. All right. Mm -hmm. so one, one of my classmates just passed away. So that was a reminder um, of how short life is. We were classmates in college, but we had met as children. Um, so when I got the news that he had passed away, it was a, oh, it was an, oh, no. So that, that, was, a, that was a tough one. 
And we got to make yeah. the most out of the time we're given. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay, one for the road. One last okay. question for the road. For anyone starting out in music or the arts, what advice or words of wisdom would you give them? For anyone starting out, uh, learn how to tell a story before you think about anything else. Because if you're a singer, if you're an actor or a dancer, your main purpose is to tell a story. It's not about having a nice, great voice. I mean, it's great. It's a great tool. But that will only aid in the story you are trying to tell. At the end of the day, you need to tell a good story. It's, it's you know, I mean, great performances are great. They're, they're, it's fine. But what leaves a lasting impression to me from a singer, from a dancer, is, is what they are able to convey and how they're able to leave an impression on my heart and on my mind. Um, I'm not always going to remember, you know, if they hit that high E squarely in the middle. I'm not always going to remember that kind of stuff. I'm not always going to remember if they didn't quite make it to that high E. Only if it was a monumental boo-boo, then maybe I'll remember it. But what I will remember is how that performer made me feel and how they made me think and you know, if they left an impression on, on my spirit. And that's how I will judge performers. And, you know, if, if say, if there's a look in the eye that I can identify as, as having, as, as like broadcasting sincere emotion, you know, and telling a story with clarity and intent and specificity and, and all of that good stuff, that, that to me is going to be, that's going to leave something behind. And that's kind of what separates the great ones from the spectacular ones. You want to leave a good story. Um, and that's what people are going to remember. Um, of course, you have to have, you know, great technique when you sing, great technique when you dance to prevent injury so that you can, you can do your job more effectively. But yeah, tell a good story. Learn how to do that. And then everything else will just follow. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Leah. Thank you so much Thank for making you. the time for this. Thank sure. you so much. So yeah, we'd like to remind everybody, great performances on Broadway's best, November 27. Make sure you catch that. Because it's going to be a fantastic concert of Ms. Leah Salonga. It was so much fun to do. It was just so much fun. I had the best time doing it. Um, Gerard is the conductor of the Sydney Symphony. Um, you know, we bring up somebody from the audience to do a whole new world with me. At least I think that's what we did. I'm not sure which footage they used because we have so much of it. Um, and just yeah, some random person, like a random yeah, person, a random human, and they all have to know how to sing. And <laughs> thankfully, they do. No auto tune required. Um, yeah, and and we all just had such a good time and yeah that's really it we had a good time the whole the whole time it was a joyful joyful australian tour the whole tour was just fun 
it, that, that was it. I just had the best time. And it was in between, when we filmed it, it was in between the two Sweeney runs. Correct. So, yes. So I was busy. <laughs> you, you didn't take a break at all. No, I didn't. I, I ended Sweeney in Manila, went to Australia, came back home, headed to Singapore. <laughs> and, and there we go. Stress na naman once we got to Singapore. <laughs> yeah, it's like putting on a whole different show. Oh, yeah, it's stress for you. Day. Yeah, a lot of stress for me because I My had like two days. My job was My job was to be the cheerleader and to yes, make everybody and happy. Were. And you were. You were you were a major cheerleader. I remember having a lot of difficult times on stage figuring out the tech for Sweeney Todd in Singapore because just things are different there. Yeah. And as soon as I would leave the stage, you would be there in the wings going, do you need a hug? <laughs> and I'm like, there was one time I said, yeah, Leah, I need a hug. <laughs> and then I got to, so after a quick hug, I got to get right back out there and keep on working so we can open. <laughs> yeah. But thank you so much for that. Oh, sure. And thank you for making time for this. Thank you so much. Absolutely. I can't thank you enough. Thanks for my bottle of vodka and thanks yeah. for my Milo rolls. Oh, my God. Yeah, the Milo buns are amazing. I can't so wait to dig into mine. <laughs> After this, I'm going to dig into mine. It's already here. Yeah. All right, Leah, thank you so much. We're going to be saying thank goodnight you. to you. Thank you so much for making the time and stay safe, I stay will. strong, you too. and stay sane. Yes. Thanks to BTS, <laughs> I'm sane. <laughs> Mwah. Mwah. Thank, thank you so you. much. Good night. Good night. Ah, all right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Leah Salonga. I mean, I had a lot more topics I wanted to touch on, but really, you know, if you don't, if you don't know, if you've just tuned into this show, we're on our, you know, seventh episode, I believe in, and every time I write a flow or a sequence and topics that I want to cover, I never really get to make it happy because it all depends on what I'm getting back from my guest. And you know, Leah was dropping a lot of gems tonight, and that. I, I feel so privileged to be here, um, you know, to be able to talk to her and to ask her some of the questions that I've always wanted to ask her for quite some time. So thank you very much, Leah Salonga. So, um, yeah, so that's our show for tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'd just like to remind you guys, uh, Offshore Music, you know, this show is powered by Offshore Music. We've got current releases out. Uh, Suspiria Pink just dropped a new single called Dismember Avenue. Sulo, a band from Cagayan de Oro, has a single out called Kawalan. And of course, June Lupito's new album, Body 3 NMRK, is out as well. And coming out soon, Lisa Marie is releasing a new single called Miss America on November 6th. And hey, thank you so much to Liquor.ph for our booze tonight. Tito's Handmade Vodka. It's fantastic. I'm not a, I'm not a vodka drinker, but... I am liking this one. And hey, if you look at the ticker underneath on this screen, you're going to get a promo code if you uh, that gives you, I think, 5% off of Tito's Bundles using the promo code. So check out uh, those details on the scroll, the ticker scrolling down underneath. And if you want to purchase it, you can get a discount. Remember, it's, it's actually a healthy drink. Yeah, you can believe me. Trust me, I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'd also like to thank um, Buenos Dias Panaderia for our Milo buns, which I'm going to dig in to right after this broadcast. And of course, thank you so much to Offshore Music. Thank you so much to everybody who's tuned in. And hey, you know, now that uh, we've announced our guests for the month, 
um, next week, I'm going to be having a few drinks and hang out with three lovely and really talented ladies, Kukichua, Bayang Barrios, and of course, Miss Lolita Carbon, also known as the Tres Marias. That's next Wednesday, same bat time, same bat channel. So, hey, man, thank you so much for tuning in to On The Rocks. I'm Jamie Wilson reminding you guys to stay safe, stay strong, stay sane, keep on rocking, and keep on rolling. And if all else fails, let the music keep you going. Because if life's gotten you shaken or stirred, mixed up, or on the rocks, what matters most is that you take your shot. Cheers to everybody. Thank you very much, and good night. On The Rocks with Jamie Wilson is brought to you by Offshore Music. Go where the sound takes you.